So how our church group got started was, so keeping with the constraints of COVID, we decided to move it to a park uh, to mask up, social distance, but still be able to see each other um, and be in person. And God just uh, rewarded that and that we did meet at a park and that we were able to have more and more folks and not limited by inside of a building. And so that served as a blessing. This group grew to about 30 to 40 folks. And then so meeting in the park allowed for families with young kids to come and join and the kids to run around. Um, and then it gave us the space to continue to add more people. At McLean's just, it's a large church and we felt really strongly that we wanted to get to know people. It's nice to join a group. It's also good to have that accountability um, and not just be showing up to church, but actually making connections, so. I would really like to be part of a church group where I can grow and um, support each other as a church family. Like navigating this newly married life, like um, just being able to um, be in fellowship with other believers who are further along in this stage in life um, was essential to our growth and to learning how to be husband and wife, um, you know, in this new stage. I think, I think uh, one of the great things about uh, McLean's church group is the fact that they try to make them very multicultural, multi-generational. So you have people that you can be filling into and you have people that can be pouring into you. So it's a great way to be discipled and to disciple others. It's been great meeting people who come from all different walks of life, um, but we know share the same core values. And it's, it's great knowing that each week we have this sense of uh, something that grounds us, um, and we like the people too. So we're excited for what God is doing through our church groups, and we're excited for what God is doing through uh, this ministry at McLean. If you have a Bible, and I hope you or somebody around you does that you can look on with, let me invite you to open with me to Mark chapter 3. Feel free to use table of contents if you need to, but Mark chapter 3. And as you're turning, I want to say that if you are not involved in a church group, I want to encourage you to explore getting connected with one. I want to invite you to get connected with one of those groups. And the easiest way to do that, regardless of what NBC location you're a part of, whether here at Tyson's or those of you in Montgomery County or Loudoun or Prince William, Arlington, those who are joining still online, uh, go to NBC Connect. In fact, I'll put on the screen right now just a QR code. Really simple, you can just click on that as well as the website, mclanebible.org slash getconnected that you can go to. Or if you're in one of our locations here in this room or one of the other places I mentioned, you can go out in the lobby today and get connected. We want to help you get connected to community like you just saw on that video. Every single church group has the same three goals, CGM, C, to care for each other like family. I heard one church group describe it this way. They said Sunday morning gatherings like this are like a big family reunion with all kinds of relatives. And church groups are like spending time with your immediate family. 
where people really know and care for each other well. So that's C. Then G, second purpose of church groups, is to help each other grow in our relationships with Jesus. Spiritual growth never happens in isolation. God has designed spiritual growth to happen in community. It's the way he's made us. And so church groups come together to help each other grow in relationship with Jesus. And the third purpose of church groups is M, to make disciples, to lead other people to eternal life in Jesus, to live on mission together. So those are the three purposes of church groups, and they are playing out every single week in groups across our city. And I want to invite you to be a part of one if you're not yet. I I love the way that video ended. I don't know if you heard uh, that brother said, here's all the benefits of being in the church group. Like we're grounded together like family and the gospel and sharing the gospel. And we like the people too. Like (laughs) bonus. You might even also like the people in your church group. So in addition to all those practical reasons why church groups are good, today I want to show you part of the biblical pattern for why we are prioritizing groups like this, because this is what Jesus himself did. And it leads to a choice that every single one of us ultimately has to make. I'll put this on the screen. Today I want to show you a clear contrast between true groups of people, the crowd and the called. And I want to point blank ask you right where you are sitting right now, which group are you in? So we're going to see in the next few minutes a large crowd of people who thought they were following Jesus. But the reality is they were not following Jesus. And then we're going to see a small group of the called who experienced what it means to truly follow Jesus. And I just want to ask you the question, are you in the crowd or the called? I want to show you that your life today and your life for all of eternity hinges on the choice between the two. Let me show you this in Mark chapter 3. We'll start in verse 7. If you want to follow along here on the screen, I'll, I'll point out specifically where we see these two groups. So Jesus withdrew to his disciples, with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea, from beyond the Jordan, from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him, for he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And you see this other group, verse 13. Jesus went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired and they came to him and he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons 
He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas, who betrayed him. Can I just stop and, and pray for the next few minutes? God, I, I pray that in the next few minutes you would open our eyes, every single one of us, to see if we are in the crowd or the called. And God, I pray that in the next few minutes you would bring some maybe many people from the crowd into the called. And I pray that you would raise up groups like this in Mark chapter 3 all across this church. Church groups that thrive on being with you and being sent out from you around the city and around the world to share your love with others. God, I know there's nothing I can say to bring about any of these things. Only by your spirit can these things happen. So I pray in the next few minutes you would give us open hearts and minds to hear your spirit speaking to us and to respond. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So how do you know if you're in the crowd or in the called? What's the difference between the two? I want to show you three characteristics of each group that I think will help you identify which group you're in. So here's the first characteristic of the crowd. They saw Jesus as a means to an end. They saw Jesus as a means to an end. And this is something we see all over Jesus' life. As time and time again, people who come to Jesus do so to get what they want. This crowd wanted to be healed of their diseases. They wanted evil spirits cast out of them. So they pressed in around him, just trying to touch him in order to get what they wanted. And it's not that they wanted Jesus. They wanted these things, healing, deliverance, whatever it was, and Jesus was a means to those things. And that's clear because there are many points in the Gospels, and specifically the Gospel of Mark, when Jesus doesn't give the crowds all they want and they leave. And this is so important because we are all tempted in the same way to do the same thing, to see Jesus merely as a means to an end or various ends in our lives. And we can even call ourselves Christians and create a whole picture of Christianity that merely uses Jesus as a means to get a variety of good things in our lives. Is that possible? It most definitely is. I, I've used this illustration before. Imagine you are stranded at sea, in danger of losing your life in the water, and then off in a distance you see a boat that's coming to rescue you. 
And of course, you want that lifeboat to save you, and you will gladly get into that boat in order to live. But that doesn't necessarily mean you love the captain of that boat. It's possible to love rescue, but not love the rescuer. And if we're not careful, this is what our faith will consist of. And what we'll call Christianity, crowds of people who don't want to go to hell and who will gladly take a supposed lifeboat to heaven, but when you look at our lives, it's questionable whether or not we actually want the captain of the boat. In other words, it's possible for a whole lot of people to gratefully enjoy all kinds of good gifts from God and even thank God for those good gifts. But when it comes down to it, our hearts are not actually for the giver. Our hearts are for the gifts. Can I just raise my hand at this point and say that I have been guilty of this? That I have been guilty of using Jesus as a means to an end in my life. I've shared with you before about a long season of my life, years ago as a pastor, when the church I was pastoring was growing a lot, and a lot of people were reading a book I had written, and I was getting invited to preach in all kinds of different places around the country, and I was loving it. But for a long stretch of time, when all those great things were happening on the outside, my time alone with God was essentially non-existent. Sure, I would pray in a worship gathering where I was preaching, but I would rarely be alone with God in prayer. I would study the Bible in order to preach a sermon, but I never studied it just to know God. That frightens me. How successful, so to speak, I could be in the eyes of the church and supposedly Christian culture around me without any actual desire for Christ how easily Jesus could become a means to an end for me. Do you, do you see this? Like, how sick is this? I was using Jesus to build a growing church and a popular ministry and a good name for myself. I was using God to get what I wanted in my life and even in the church. And I might have said, I definitely would have said, I wanted God, but you look at my life, it was clear. I didn't want God. I wanted his gifts. And that's the difference with the called in this passage in contrast to the crowds who saw Jesus as a means to an end. This small group of the called, they realized Jesus is the end. Did you, did you hear it in what we just read? Jesus called these disciples not to get this or that from him. He called them to do what? So that, here's the purpose, so that they might be with him. Be with him. He called him to be with him, to be with Jesus. Not to get this or that from Jesus, just to be with him. Is that your desire? Just to be with 
Jesus, because this is true faith according to the Bible. Think Psalm chapter 27, verse 4. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. One thing, he says, more than any other thing, I just want to dwell with God. That's all I want. I just want to look at him. I just want to look at him. I just want to talk to him. He is all I want. In our family worship time two nights ago, Isaiah, our eight-year-old, told the parable of the pearl of great value. And this man who sold everything he had, Matthew 13 tells us to buy one pearl because it was worth more than everything else he had put together. And we talked about how this is Jesus, how he is worth more than everything else we have put together. Even all the good things that we have and we enjoy and we discuss. We're like, what are some things like that? What are the good things that we're prone to seek or to look to more than God? And we just started listing it. Like family and friends and football and a good reputation and money and possessions and all kinds of good things, and we prayed, God, help us to enjoy these good gifts, but more than any of them, to want and treasure you. Because this is where life is found, not in the gifts, but in the giver. Like, listen to the end of James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. In other words, Walking through times where you lose good things, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who go to church? No. To those who go through religious motions? No. To those who are good at family or friends or football or have a good reputation or a good job or a good amount of money? No. To those who love God. This, this is where life is found in love for God. That's the whole point of what James says right after this. He says, you say you believe in God, big deal. Even the demons believe in God. The question is, do you know him and do you love him? Remember Jesus' warning about this, Matthew chapter 7, talking about the day of judgment that every single one of us will one day Face as we stand before God, and Jesus says, On that day, many, there's the crowd, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty, many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Like many will say, I did all kinds of things in your name, and Jesus will tell many people on that day, I never even knew you. So just pause and ask. That's why I said this question. It determines life now and your life for all of eternity. Do you know God? Do you love God? Is looking upon and speaking to God the one thing that you want? Or do you actually want a lot of other things in this world? And God, Jesus, is just a means to those things for you. 
And honestly look at the evidence of your life and ask the question, is God the end for you or is God a means to the end for you? Let me just close this point by making crystal clear. We have created and many of you have been sold an entire understanding of Christianity today that sees Jesus as a means to an end. Come to Jesus and get fill in the blank. In some settings, it's come to Jesus and get health. Come to Jesus and get wealth. Come to Jesus and get prosperity in this world. Or maybe it's just come to Jesus and get peace. Come to Jesus and get joy. Come to Jesus and get abundance. Come to Jesus and get heaven. But none of those things are ultimately the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible is come to Jesus and get Jesus. He's the one we need. He's the one we want. He's the one from whom all these things flow. They're found in him. He's the giver. And we need him. And he's better than all the best things of this world put together. And the good news of the Bible is the one who is better than all the best things of this world put together wants us. Amen. <laughs> so keep going here. Amen. The crowd came to Jesus because all that Jesus could do for them, that's what Mark chapter 3 verse 8 said, they heard all that he was doing, could do for so many people, so they came from everywhere because they heard what Jesus could do for them. But look at the called. They came because they realized Jesus desired them. Did you hear that language in this story? Jesus goes up on a mountain and he calls to himself those whom he desired. And they came to him. They came, why? Because they realized this man who even the demons recognized was the son of God, God in the flesh, the one with all authority over demons and diseases, the one who has authority to give life, he desired them. He was calling them to himself by name, each of them. Like when you, when you see the crowd, you see this whole list of places, right? And it goes on and on and on. You see that word, and, over and over again. This great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. Like all these generally places that tons of people are coming from. So that's the picture we see with the crowd. But then with the called, you see the same language, only the emphasis is completely different. Jesus appointed, set apart, called 12 people. 
And then we have their individual names, Simon, James, and John, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Jesus desired each one of them. And they came to him. Do you realize this? Do you feel the wonder here? Do you realize, do you feel the wonder of the reality that Jesus desires you? And not just the person beside you, in front of you, behind you, like you, right where you're sitting right now. Jesus, the creator and Lord of life in whom all joy and peace and love reside, the king over all the universe, Jesus desires you. Put your name in the blank. And I know this because God has said so. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord... It's not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness. It's patient towards you, not wishing, not desiring that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Jesus desires you not to experience death, but to experience eternal life. Jesus desires you in that way. This is the greatest news in all all the world, and I invite you to feel it, either for the first time or maybe in a fresh way, personally, right where you are sitting. You have been created by God. He's formed you, made you who you are, been made for life with God. Yet you and I and all of us have sinned against God, turned aside from Him and His ways, to ourselves and our own ways, our own plans for our lives. But God loves you, insert your name, so much that he came to the world in the person of Jesus. He lived a sinless life, then died on the cross for sin, then rose from the grave so that you, insert your name, could be forgiven of all your sin and restored to relationship with God for all of eternity by trusting him as your life. God desires you so much that he gave his one and only son that you, by believing in him, will not perish but have everlasting life with him. Jesus desires you. God desires you. You say, you don't know what I've done. And you're right. I don't know what you've done, but God does know all you have done, and he still desires you. And, And this is the point that the crowd comes to Jesus because they hear all he can do. The called come to Jesus because they're shocked to hear that he desires them. And not just desires them. It keeps getting better. So here's the last distinction between the crowd and the called. The crowd, they only focus on what they can receive from Jesus. And I do want to be careful in this description of the crowd because obviously when we want Jesus and we are with Jesus, 
There are so many good things Jesus gives, including peace and joy and life in heaven. There's so much to receive from Jesus, but there's a difference here between the crowd and the called because the crowd only focuses on what they can receive from Jesus, but the called, they ultimately realize they are representatives of Jesus. Did you see it? The called come to be with him and. Did you hear the language? So that, called so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. And that word means to proclaim good news. It doesn't doesn't mean, don't, don't think, stand behind a podium in front of a large group of people. Like, yes, I hope this is preaching, but... Uh, this, is, this is you sitting across the table from your family member or friend or coworker or neighbor and telling them the good news of how much God loves them. Jesus says, I've called you to be with me and then to go out and to proclaim this good news with my authority. Right before this verse, we read about Jesus' authority over demons, unclean spirits, how he can tell them what to do and they do it. And Jesus says, I'm giving you my authority. Now, as soon as we read this, we realize this is obviously a special group here in Mark chapter 3, these apostles, which the word literally means sent ones, who had a unique role to play in the founding of the church. But this call was obviously not just for them. And we know that because of the words we say to one another every single week we leave this gathering. When Jesus said to all of his disciples, all authority, there it is, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And the clear implication is, I'm sending you out with my authority. That's why it says, therefore, in light of that, with my authority, go and make disciples of all nations, proclaim the gospel, lead other people to follow me, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. Do this in all nations, and I will be with you every step of the way. Do you see it? The crowd is only about what they can receive from Jesus. The called realize they have been sent out as representatives of Jesus. They've been called to be with him and to go out proclaiming him to the world around them. This is what we are called to do. So are you doing this? Are you going out into the city, wherever God leads among the nations, proclaiming Jesus? That's what this small group of the called in Mark chapter 3 would become known for. You look at this list with the exception of Judas who betrayed Jesus. Every single person in this initial group would give All but one would lose their lives proclaiming the good news of Jesus. It's what the called do. And in this way, in Jesus calling this group of disciples to be with him and sending them out to share his love, Jesus was turning the world upside down. We realized, like, this is where it all started. And there's thousands of us and just this church family alone gathered together, singing the praises of Jesus. 
Because starting with 11 guys, they went out proclaiming that good news. This is a world-changing force. Now, it doesn't look like a world-changing force. As we'll come to find out, these guys were not the sharpest tools in the shed. But this is part of the genius that we see in Jesus. This was his strategy for reaching the world with the good news of his kingdom. And it is so counterintuitive to the way we think. I think, okay, if we want to take the gospel to the world, what do we need to do? We need to plan innovative strategies, plot elaborate schemes. We need to organize conventions and develop programs and create events, draw the biggest crowds with the biggest names, do mega this and mega that. But what does Jesus do? He strolls up on a mountain and calls a small group of normal, ordinary people whom he would entrust with his power to share life together, to become a family together, and to spread good news together. And you know, I I should pause at this point and just acknowledge, this is a pretty challenging group. You look at this list of names, these guys didn't naturally hang out with each other. There was a lot of immediate tension between them that certainly played out as they spent so much time together. And I mention that because one of the dangers in showing a church group video like I did earlier is that it shows the best sides of a church group. But what you didn't see on that video, what didn't make the cut in the film, were all the times when there was a screaming kid who wouldn't be quiet, or the parents refereeing their kids, or when the group was meeting inside in a home and they were scrubbing out ketchup that had just spilled on the new carpet, or the tension that members of that group sometimes experience with each other, or those awkward moments in discussion when no one says anything, you're just looking at each other. So some other group can make that video. Here's all the things that can go wrong in the church group. Some of you are like, all right, we've got that video down. So, and it'll probably be more in line with this group in Mark chapter 3. So all that to say, don't be discouraged if your church group now or the church group you join is full of challenges. That's kind of the point. We're called to community and mission like this, not because it's easy, but because it's worth it. Because we're learning to care for each other like family. And who has the perfect conflict-free family? And we're growing together to be more like Jesus, which always involves being stretched and learning to love or even like people who are a little different from you or maybe a lot different from you. And we're working together to lead more people to Jesus. That's why that third goal of church groups, that M, make disciples, is so important. Because we're not just receiving. We're representatives of Jesus. And if you'll remember, a few years ago, we did a survey on a Sunday morning just like this. And two-thirds of the people sitting in a setting like this on a Sunday morning said, I rarely, if ever, share the gospel with someone else. Like the overwhelming majority of us not doing this. And left to ourselves, that's what happens. We just focus on what we can receive from Jesus instead of realizing we're representatives of Jesus. And we need, 
And we want to be in groups where we're encouraging one another to share the gospel. And we're doing that together. And church family, it is happening. Let me, let me tell you just, just the stories I heard this last week and then draw it, all of this to a close. So one family in our city, parents in their 30s, three kids under 12. They started watching NBC online during the pandemic. And the mom and the kids were interested, but the dad wasn't. The dad was not a follower of Jesus. But I mentioned one Sunday opportunities to get involved in a church group. And the mom reached out and got connected with one. And their whole family, including the dad, went. And by the fourth time they had gone to this church group, the dad came to faith in Jesus. Amen. The very next week, the same dad was diagnosed with stage four cancer. Fast forward 10 months, hospice had been called in, and this dad was baptized in his house and this church group around him. And a week later, he was with Jesus. Do you know why he was with Jesus and why he's with Jesus today and why he will be with Jesus 10 trillion years from now? Because of God's grace in a church group that cared for him like family and shared the gospel with him and brought him to Jesus. Amen. Another story just this week, heard about a brother and a church group who'd been wanting to share the gospel at work, works at Ace Hardware, but just lacked the courage to do it. And he was talking with another church group member one morning and just saying, I, I, I just, I need courage. Will you pray for me to have courage? And so this other church group member prayed over him. He'd have courage to share. That day he goes off to work. He's having a conversation with a coworker. And the way I understand it, they're, they're talking about fruit for some reason. And somehow the conversation transitions from talking about fruit to the fruit of the spirit. I'm not sure what the connection was, but... Somehow it went from bananas to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So all of a sudden, talking about the fruit of the Spirit, and his coworker starts asking him questions about his faith. And that day, so that afternoon, they prayed together that morning, that afternoon, his coworker decides to put his faith in Jesus. Then one more, so one more, church group heard about a Hindu family who was going through a rough time and needed to get into a, a new living situation. So this church group helped a mom and her kids get into a new home, and as a housewarming gift, they gave them a Bible, which opened the door to a variety of conversations, and long story short, before long, the wife and her kids all had decided to trust in Jesus and are now part of that church group. So do you see it? Like, this is what it means to be called. We get to be a part of introducing people to life in Jesus that will last forever. Like, that's not something we would sit here and think, oh, do I have to do that? Like, that's like, run to that. Like, I want to be a part of that. I want life like that, and I want to share life like that. This is what it means to be called. This is what it means to be the church. That's why we call them church groups. It means that we get to be with Jesus, alone and with family, to be with the author of life, 
with all authority in the universe, the one who desires us. What could be better than this? And then to go out as his representatives with his authority and his grace and his love to lead other people to life. So that's the question. Does what I just described describe your life? Don't settle for being in the crowd. There are multitudes of people who are using Jesus as a means to an end. Spending their lives focused on things they can receive from Jesus and missing out on the joy of being in the smaller group of those called to be with Jesus. and Invited to be sent out from him. In other words, missing out on what it means to actually be the church. Let me close with some great news about how this is playing out in our church family. So we're gathered right now here in Tyson's in Loudoun, Prince William, Montgomery County. But starting next week, next Sunday at 9 a.m. for the very first time, we will gather also in our own building right in the heart of Arlington. A group of... A group of called men and women will gather in the heart of Arlington to be with Jesus and to be sent out into that part of the city to proclaim Jesus. Watch this video with me. Hey, what's going on everyone? I'm Eric. Welcome to the new location of NBC Arlington. We are here in the courthouse neighborhood right in the heart of Arlington. And we're looking forward to, and we're planning on having our services here of starting on November 21st at 9 a.m. We are excited about all that God will do through his people in this location. We spent a lot of time renovating this space and we realized that this building actually speaks to a deeper spiritual reality. Uh, let me explain. You see, our location is on the bottom floor of an 11-story building in which many different people from many different walks of life and many different organizations are working. And when you go out and you look around, you see many people spending their days in many different places like high-rise apartment buildings, bars and gyms and movie theaters and restaurants. And beneath it all, at the bottom of this 11-story building on the corner of Courthouse and 13th Street, God has placed a local church, NBC Arlington. And we feel like this speaks to even a deeper spiritual reality, that just like we're at the bottom of this 11-story building beneath all of this activity, there's the reality of God in this world. And he's beneath all of our work and living and breathing and striving and longing. As Paul said to the people at Areopagus, in him we live and we breathe and have our being. And so many people don't even realize that. They don't realize that God is a reality beneath it all. And our role here in this city is to make God known. And so I wanna invite you to pray along with us that God will use this church for his glory, that many people will come to know him, and that his glory will be made known from this small location here in Arlington, and that we'll branch out to the four corners of the globe. Will you pray with us? And if you live in the area, we want to invite you to join us in this work. We'll be here November 21st at 9 a.m. worshiping King Jesus together. I look forward to seeing you guys soon.
If you are near Arlington or want to be a part of what God's doing specifically there, I invite you next Sunday, 9 a.m. But regardless of where you are, who are you? Which group are you in? And I want to urge you today, based on the authority of God's word, not to stay in the crowd. Don't live in the crowd. It's not life. Life is found here among the called, trusting Jesus as your life is the one who desires you and who's better than all the best things of this world put together. He is the end. So would you bow your heads with me? Just all across this room and other locations. And I ask you to do that, just to bow your heads, close your eyes, just to focus for a moment. Like put out all the noise and just you before God right now. Which, which group are you in? And I want to invite you, if, if maybe you're like, yeah, I've, I'm definitely in the crowd. I've been in the crowd my whole life. Or maybe, maybe you've drifted back into the crowd in ways even like I described earlier in my life. I just want to invite you either for the first time in a fresh way just to pray right now and to say to God, I need you to say in your heart, I want you, I trust that you are better than all the best things of this world put together. I have sought stuff of this world and I find myself coming up empty. But I trust today that you are fullness that you are life and you are joy and you are peace. It's all found in you. And so just say to God, please forgive me for turning to all these other things. I trust what Jesus has done on the cross to pay the price for all my sins and to make it possible for me to be in relationship with you. I trust in Jesus as the Savior and Lord of my life. As my life, I trust you. And as you pray that, know that you're praying to the God who desires you. He loves you. And desires to satisfy you in ways that supersede everything else in this world. God, we, we praise you for your desire for us. And we pray that you would forgive us for all the ways we have, even as I've confessed today, we have sought you as a means to an end. As if there's something better or more satisfying or more fulfilling than you. We pray that you'd forgive us for how we have exalted your good gifts above you as the giver of those gifts. 
I pray that we would live this called life. God, I pray this over every single person in the sound of my voice, even as I pray this over my own life. God, help us. Help us to live out of the overflow of your desire for us and your love for us. Seeking you as the end. Change our hearts that we might say, one thing I seek, one thing I just want you, God. To live as Christ. You're my life. May this be our prayer, and may we come together, God. Would you raise up groups all across this church family who are enjoying being with you and enjoying going out with your spirit and your authority and spreading your grace among so many people around us we know who need your grace and your love. God, would would you do what you did in this group in Mark chapter 3 and our church family and groups among us? May, May you multiply the gospel in ways that are shaping of lives for all of eternity. God, we pray all of these things with overwhelming gratitude for your grace and our lives and your glory as the giver of every good gift. We pray all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.